0: Well, this morning we continue in our summer sermon series titled Parables of Jesus. Today's sermon is titled The Unmerciful Servant. Let me ask you, how are you at forgiveness? I mean, really? I think forgiveness is like humility. If you think you're good at it, you're probably not. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is tiresome. We'd rather harbor resentment than gossip about others rather than truly forgive them. Forgiveness is hard. And so Jesus' words to us this morning are critical. We must hear Him. We must delight in what He says. And we must press His truth deep into our hearts. See, only then do we stand a chance of being the people that we're called to be merciful and forgiving. That's what I need this morning. How about you? Matthew 18, verses 21-35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made." So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But... This is the Word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. We want to know God. If we want to know His will, if we want to know His way, we must know His Word. Let's pray. Father, this is a beautiful Word in so many ways. We delight in what we hear in this text. We long for it, but we also confess it's hard and oh so often we don't want to do it. But we are thankful that your spirit resides in your people. You give us hope, and so we pray that your spirit would work in us, convicting us, energizing us, challenging us, and bearing fruit as we study this text this morning. We pray, Amen. Do you ever get ticked off at your cell phone company? Like you know, a few extra text messages or minutes, and next thing you know, you got a hundred dollar worth of charges on your cell phone bill. Has that ever happened to you? Just me? All right. Well, that's nothing compared to what happened to a South Florida woman named Selena Ahrens. Selena shared her cell phone plan with her two brothers, who were both deaf-mute. They used their cell phones to communicate all the time through text messages, and they downloaded a lot of uh, videos. Selena had an appropriate T-Mobile data plan to allow for their needs, or at least she thought... Apparently, neither Selena nor her brothers had read the fine print. When her two brothers went on a two-week trip to Canada, they racked up over $200,000 in surcharges and fees. At first, she thought it was a mistake. But after speaking to her provider and reading the fine print, she learned that this incredible debt was the truth. Just like Selena Ahrens, we are in a desperate debt situation, facing a huge, insurmountable debt in our relationship to God. And it's no good to just appeal for justice. All we have left, like Selena Ahrens, is to throw ourselves upon the mercy of the one to whom we owe the debt. While T-Mobile showed mercy to Selena and lowered her debt to a reasonable amount, our God does even better. He cancels our debt completely and He frees us. And so to be a follower of Jesus means that you've experienced the complete forgiveness of a mountain of debt with God. But isn't it true the sad reality is that, that though we experience abundant pardon from, from God, we owe so easily harbor resentment and bitterness to those who offend us. We want to limit our obligation to forgive like Peter in this parable. Or we want to choke others like that unmerciful servant. Avoidance or self-righteous indignation. That, that's our tendency. But Jesus tells us there's another way. The way the kingdom that we see exemplified by the king in this story. And who is the king? That's God, of course. Jesus teaches us in this parable this important truth. Because God has shown you unlimited mercy, your mercy is to have no limits. We're going to study this truth under two headings: first, the contrast, and then the cross. First, the contrast. In this parable, God contrast or Jesus contrasts God's heart for mercy and forgiveness over and against mankind's hardness of heart. But first, a little context. In the passage just before this parable, Jesus was teaching his people. He was describing them how they're to live together. And Jesus says, when someone sins against you, you're to approach them in love and you're to show your brother or sister their sin. With the hopes of what? You can rub their nose in it? No. That they would repent and the relationship would be restored. But right after that teaching, Peter approaches Jesus with a question that I think all of us would be tempted to ask. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came up to Him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? In other words, okay, Lord, how much is enough? Right? There has to be a point when I'm no longer obligated by God to forgive. And you've done this before, right? Put earthly limits on forgiveness. We think we can only endure so much from some individual. Surely at some point I fulfilled my requirement. In Jesus' day, rabbis taught that three times, that's it, three times of forgiveness and you fulfilled your obligation. And so here, check this out. Peter thought he was being truly generous. Seven times. Double it and add one. Surely if I endure up to seven, then then I have no more obligations. And what does Jesus say? In verse 22, he says to Peter, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Now I know some translations say... 70 times 7, which is 490. I think the most accurate reading of the Greek would be 70. But it really doesn't matter either way. Why? Because Jesus is using what's called hyperbole, exaggerated speech, in order to prove a point. Jesus is saying, good luck trying to keep track of all your forgivenesses up to 70, let alone 490. By the time you forgive Bill 17 times, in your head you're going, was that 23 or was that 24? Darn it i got to start counting all over again. But the problem is we want to keep track, right? Hillary Clinton once made this comment. She said, in the Bible it says they asked Jesus how many times you should forgive. And he said 70 times 7. Well, I want you all to know that I am keeping a chart. Now, she most certainly was joking, but we do tend to keep charts. We, we run a tally in our head as best we can of how others have offended us. This must not be so, says Jesus. And so he gives a wonderful parable to contrast kingdom mercy with earthly anger. Jesus begins in verse 23 and 24 by telling us that a servant owed his Ode King, 10,000 talents. Now, how much is a talent? A talent is 75 pounds, most likely of silver. So 10,000 talents is 750,000 pounds of silver, or 375 tons. In the Greek numeral system, guess what? 10,000 is the largest amount that they have. Can't go any higher than that. It's as if Jesus is saying a servant owed his king ten zillion dollars. It's an astronomical amount. And that's Jesus' point. The debt is too big for anyone to be able to repay. And that's the servant's problem. He could not repay. In verse 25, the king ordered him to be sold along with his household and all they had. That was the legal process in Jesus' day. Don't get tripped up over that. But we should understand is that the servant deserved this punishment. Notice he doesn't argue with the king like, I don't owe you that much, or nor does he say your punishment is too harsh. This man is G-U-I-L-T-Y, guilty. He cannot plead for justice. So he does the only thing he can. He makes a request. Verse 26, he falls on his knees and implores the king. What does he say? Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. This is no half-hearted appeal. Please, please, please have patience. And what was the result? Look at verse 27. It's important you get this. And out of, what's the word? Pity. For him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him all his debt. Listen. What was it that the servant was asking for? What was he asking for? More time. Just give me more time and I will pay you back. And isn't that how mankind is with God? We feel like somehow we can pay him back. Just give me a little more time. I'll get you covered, God. Instead of pleading for mercy and grace, we we pridefully ask for for a payment plan. The servant asked for more time, but what was it that the master gave him? He gave them forgiveness and freedom. The debt was completely wiped out. All of it. Ten zillion dollars worth. Jesus said it was out of pity. Another way to translate that word is is compassion. Think this through. Reason properly here, my friends. It must be an an abundant compassion that this king has to forgive such an astronomical debt. You and I have never had to forgive like that. But then again, maybe you have. Maybe that husband or wife that left you for another lover, does that not feel like 375 tons? Or that drunk driver that took your child. Understand this. God knows debt like that. Jesus said he's full of compassion and mercy. God is, a, is an abundant forgiver of debt. And don't you believe otherwise? <laughs> but the parable doesn't end there. What does the servant do? Verse 28 begins with a but. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. A denarii, um, it's one day's wage in the ancient world. So he owed this man 100 days' wages. This is no insignificant amount. In today's dollars, that would be like $28,800, twenty eight thousand eight hundred dollars, okay this is not pennies, and isn't it true? Usually when someone offends or hurts us, it's not pennies we're in need of forgiving, is it? But Jesus wants to see us to see that, in contrast to how much this servant had been forgiven, it was like pennies. The unmerciful servant ignored his own merciful estate and he laid his hands upon the man. Did you see that? He began to choke him. Pay me now, you piece of crud. And did you notice what the second servant did? In almost the exact same words as the first servant, he cries out in verse 29, have patience with me and I will pay you. Chances are he probably could have paid him over time. But he refused. He refused. Where the king had pity, the servant had no pity. The unmerciful servant refused to show mercy. The third part of this parable is what we call this, I could call the summons. The other servants saw what happened to, their, um, to him, and they, they went and told their king, and then the king went and summoned this unmerciful servant. Verse 31, we see that the fellow servants saw what had taken place, and it says what? They were greatly distressed. Why are they greatly distressed? I think two reasons. First, I think what comes to most of our minds, they too had pity on their fellow servant who's being choked by this unmerciful servant. And they saw the injustice and they wanted to help their fellow servant. But I also think there is something else here. I think that they were troubled for their king and the implications for their king and his kingdom. Why? Because the word is out. We have a merciful, generous king. Our king has core values of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Oh, to live under a king like this. See, when your life is lived under the gracious rule of a loving and merciful king, you become offended when the king's core values are offended or by his people, or violated by his people. And how does the king respond? He calls the servant evil he gives him the punishment that he really truly deserved. His master called in verse 32. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in his anger, this is a righteous anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Notice that the master, this king, doesn't say, you should have canceled his dad. No, he doesn't focus on the outward actions or results. What does Jesus focus upon here? The heart. The heart motivation. Look at the last verse. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, isn't it true? Maybe some of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. That would be horrible. Isn't it true you can appear to be forgiving on the outside but on the inside your heart is full of anger and bitterness? Jesus ends with a warning. If you lack mercy, then you demonstrate that there's a good chance you lack salvation too. And Jesus is also saying, in my kingdom, every kingdom member will be a servant who has been forgiven zillions of dollars in spiritual debt. And because they have been forgiven with an unlimited mercy, their mercy is to have no limits. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like pretty impossible. Mercy without limit. Don't get me wrong. In theory, I like it. (laughs) It's putting it into practice that scares me. How about you? Thankfully, we move from the contrast to the cross. And here's what we see as we look at this heading. Only through the cross can mercy and forgiveness be ours, both to receive and to give. My guess is I think most of us here are thinking, I, would, I want to be like this. I don't want my life to be characterized by chokeholds and angry gossip, but rather by mercy. Mercy. But it's hard. As C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. By the cross and through the cross, God's mercy comes to us and through us to others. That's what Jesus wants us to see. Now, here's where I may lose some of you. It may be hard for some of you to agree with what I'm about ready to say. But this is what I want us to hear. You cannot forgive like God until you've been forgiven by God. In other words, unless the cross of Christ has come into your life, you will fail at being merciful. Don't get me wrong. An atheist can affirm the virtues of mercy and forgiveness. The problem is, like Peter, you will tend to limit the scope of of what forgiveness entails. Or unlike the unmerciful servant, you'll be prone to retaliation. The truth is, you and I can go through life with a worldly approach to forgiveness that only has us forgiving people seven times. But once we hit eight, we begin avoiding them. But know this, avoidance isn't forgiveness, is it? And furthermore, what happens when life hits you with a horrendous tragedy? Not just someone at a stoplight flipping you off. What happens then? A tragedy you cannot avoid. One that angers you so much that your life becomes consumed by uncontrollable anger. There's a story in a book, 70 Times 7. It helps us to see this. Let me read it. Follow along. When my daughter Frances was murdered in 1985, I was devastated. I received a phone call from my niece in Los Angeles. She said, Frances is dead. She's been shot. I can't remember screaming, but I did. I made plans to go out to California immediately. And on the plane, I really thought I could kill someone. If I had a weapon and the murderer, I probably would have done just that. By the time I got off the plane, I was getting concerned about how I was going to greet my son Daniel, who was who was flying in from Hawaii. Daniel was an army sergeant, and he had been trained to kill. When we got to the police station the next morning, the only thing they told us was that my daughter was dead and that everything else was none of our business. Sadly, this remained the case throughout the days we stayed in Los Angeles. The violent crimes coordinator told me that if they, arrested someone, if they hadn't arrested someone in four days, we shouldn't expect an arrest. We just have too many homicides in this precinct. We only spend four days on homicides. This enraged my son Daniel. When he found out that the police department was not really interested in finding his sister's killer, he wanted to go buy an Uzi and mow people down. They hadn't really prepared us for what We would see when we picked up her car from the pound, Francis had bled to death in her car. The bullets had passed through her aorta, her heart, both lungs. She had choked on her own blood. She died early on a Sunday morning, and we picked up the car late Tuesday afternoon. It stank. The smell never left Daniel's mind, and he wanted vengeance in the worst way. He really wanted someone to do something, some kind of justice for his sister. Over the next two and a half years, I saw Daniel go downhill, and then I stood alongside his sister's grave to watch him being lowered into the ground. He had finally taken revenge on himself. And I saw what hatred does. It takes the ultimate toll on one's mind and body. This story illustrates the Chinese proverb which says, the man who opts for revenge should dig two graves. It also illustrates how our worldly approaches to deal with traumatic injustices will in the end rip us apart. When we're unable to forgive others, it is us, not them, who are imprisoned. They walk around free while we grieve and suffer. Some of you know this feeling all too well, don't you? It's why we become bitter and spiteful and hateful of those who harm us. We want to choke life out of those who sin against us. But it's really us whose lives are being choked out. But Jesus says there's another way. His way. The way of the cross. See, when, when the cross of Christ enters into our lives, it changes us. How so? It makes us to be a highly forgiven people who highly forgive others. In this parable, Jesus wants us to see how highly forgiven we are. Something wonderful takes place at the cross that allows God to forgive us. What is it? Well, the word that theologians use is this word called satisfaction. Satisfaction. On the cross, Jesus provides perfect satisfaction through which God forgives our debt. Now, many of you today, many people today will say, Well, if God wants to forgive me, he should just forgive me. Why does his son, Jesus, have to die for me? If he wants to forgive me, then just say so. Now, let me ask you, why did Jesus have to go to the cross in order for God to forgive? Listen. Because every act of forgiveness requires a satisfaction, a a cost to be paid. Suppose your neighbor backs out of the driveway and knocks over your your beautiful maple tree. What options do you have to maintain your peaceful relationship with your neighbor? There's three favorable options. Options. Option one is this, and we tend to like this one the best. Your neighbor could buy you a new tree and plant it where the old one was, right? And if he does this, because it was probably a guy who did it, your, your neighbor satisfies his debt by paying for the tree. The cost fell on him, and you forgive him, and your peaceful relationship is maintained, right? Option two, though, is that you pay for the tree. You provide for its replacement, but the forgiveness cost you, right? The debt was satisfied with your own wallet. Now there's also an option three. Neither of you buy a replacement tree. Instead, you decide to live without it. But understand the satisfaction, a cost has taken place. How is that? You decide to absorb the cost of living without a tree in your front yard. That is the cost that you, that you have lovingly settled upon in order for, to forgive your neighbor. The debt was paid in the sense that you were determined to be satisfied to live without the tree. And I complain about it when you look out the front window. You see, understand this. In every instance where someone harms you or injures you or your property, there must be satisfaction paid. There must be a cost in order for forgiveness to truly take place. God cannot wave a magic wand and forgive you. A satisfaction of debt must occur. Does that make sense? You and I cannot even begin to pay God back for the debt of all of our sin. We're like that servant who owed $10 zillion That's the whole point of Jesus telling the parable. And guess what? Option one's not available to us. We cannot even begin to, to try to satisfy our spiritual debt. And guess what? Option three is off the table for God. God doesn't want to lovingly do without us. So only option two is pleasing to God and to us. Option two is God satisfying our debt for us so that we can be forgiven. But it's God who pays the cost. God simply cannot wave a wand and say all is forgiven. No, forgiveness is costly. It always has been. It always will be. And every time you forgive someone, it will be costly too. But never as costly as the price that Jesus paid. There is no greater mercy or forgiveness than what God gives us through Christ. See, on the cross, God sent His eternal Son to to pay the penalty that we deserve. On the cross, Jesus took that unfathomable debt that we owe and He paid the penalty that we deserve. He fully satisfied the debt that we owe. And because our debt is fully satisfied by Him, we must be fully satisfied in Him. That's Jesus' point to Peter, because God has shown you unlimited mercy. Your mercy is to have no limits. That's Jesus' teaching to, the, to Peter and the other disciples. But you know the story, right? They had a way to go. At this time in the parable, Jesus hadn't yet gone to the cross, but he'd get there soon. But before he did, one of the 12, Judas, would betray Jesus for not even a talent. It was a 30 coins he betrayed Jesus. And even cocky, confident Peter, who swore to Jesus, no, I will not deny you three times before the rooster crowed. Guess what? He denied him three times and then the rooster crowed and Peter wept with guilt and shame. And then Jesus was handed over to the Romans and the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And the religious leaders and even the criminals that were crucified with Jesus, they they mocked him as he hung on the cross. Now, How would you have responded? Isn't it true? Would you not want to just like choke all those people for that great injustice? Jesus, his hands were busy doing something else. They're being nailed to the cross in satisfaction for our sin. And when He was dying on the cross, He looked down at all the perpetrators and what did He say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Now that is mercy that knows no limits. And it's been shown to you if you have faith in Christ. You see why I said you cannot forgive like God until you've been forgiven by God? Until God has shown you unlimited mercy, your mercy will necessarily have limits. But when the gospel gives you a new heart, forgiveness flows from your heart. Mercy is no longer something that you put limits on. Why? Because God's mercy towards you has no limits. So this morning we've seen the contrast between the limitless mercy of the king and the, of course the unmerciful servant. We've seen how the mercy of God comes to us and through us. That is, by the cross. And hopefully you've concluded that because God has shown you unlimited mercy, your mercy is to have no limits. Now, perhaps you came here this morning and you're hoping that I would give you like the 12 steps for making peace or... Five surefire ways to be more forgiving. Some short little TED Talk thing. I don't have those for you. Understand this though. Forgiveness. Forgiveness as Jesus has shown us this morning is really quite a simple process. Are you ready? When someone hurts you or offends you, here's what you're to do. Go to the cross. See God's... Unlimited mercy towards you there. And display mercy without limits. That's it. It's quite simple. Now, one of the reasons, though, it's hard, I think, is that rarely do we have option one or two available to us. Right? Right? So often, people sin against us. They fail to provide satisfaction. There is no, I'm sorry, how can I repay you? Option one is usually not available. The same thing with option two. It's not that often that we can provide payment on behalf of those who offend us. And isn't it true? Much of the forgiveness that God calls us to have towards situations in our life is, is option three. It's our only recourse. When your spouse leaves you for another, there's only option three left, right? Option three is the hardest to embrace. It can be really hard for us to muster up a loving willingness to live without that allows us to genuinely forgive the other party, right? Often forgiveness must be processed through option three. Resolving to be satisfied, not with repayment and an apology, but to be satisfied, to to lovingly live without. Which again is why the cross is so important. The cross allows you and me to lovingly live without because Jesus alone is enough. So as we take a minute to approach the Lord's Supper, I want you to take time to reflect upon the unlimited mercy God has shown you and continues to show you. Reflect upon all the ways you continue to fall short, even though you know better. Consider how day after day you continue like me to require mercy and pardon. Grieve over your ever-present sin. And then, only after seeing God's mercy towards you, consider your neighbor's offenses against you and see how they really are trivialities compared to your own offenses towards God. And open your heart afresh to God's mercy and let that mercy flow from you towards others. Consider those to whom you are upset with here this morning. Perhaps you're all ticked off at a family member who never fails to let you down. And worse worse off, they're oblivious to their own failings. And now you feel like you have every right to your bitterness towards them. Perhaps you even gossiped about them this past week. That person is the one you need to forgive this morning. Look to the cross. Delight in God's mercy towards you. And delight to be merciful to them. And don't do it grudgingly. Forgive with joy. Why? Because that is how your Lord has forgiven you. With great joy. And tomorrow, when you find yourself wanting to return and go back to harboring bitterness and resentment, do what? Return again to the cross. And if this person is a fellow believer, perhaps even here in this room, perhaps it's me even. Remind yourself that Christ died for them, that he loves them, that he cherishes them. And yes, he is patient with them just as he is... Patient with you. See your brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ's beloved, just like you. And pray to Christ to give you His heart so that you may love and forgive them just as Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Well, this really is good, and it is really hard. We do thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have the most perfect pattern for what you call us to do. You are not asking us to do something that you have not already done for us. May we not be satisfied any longer with earthly approaches to so-called forgiveness, which really isn't forgiveness. May we see in Jesus... Your love for us. May we realize that in Christ there is perfect satisfaction. It goes on for all eternity. We've been forgiven 10 zillion of dead. How can we not be merciful as our Lord has been merciful to us? Holy Spirit, give us that power, we pray. Amen.